0: RPN, the Roddenberry Podcast Network. The Trek Files, Season 2, Episode 8, Enterprise Design Art by Andrew Probert and Others, 1978. (laughs) Welcome to The Trek Files, a look into the archives of Roddenberry Entertainment from the personal files of Gene Roddenberry. And now your host, Dr. Trek, Larry Nemechek. Well, Star Trek background fans, and yes, all of you Trekophiles spelled with an F out there, welcome back to another edition of The Trek Files. And once again, this is a special all-visual edition of the show with, as you can guess, uh, our good friend Andrew Probert, uh, the one, the only, and we're talking the motion picture again. Uh, Andrew did so much of the conceptualizing in the early days of the motion picture, and what a troubled production it had, but what's amazing is uh, Andrew was there from start to finish, basically. Andrew, thanks again for being back on with us. You're welcome. <laughs> well, today we're, we're kind of stru- we're focusing on uh, the Enterprise itself and some of the interiors, which as opposed to the spacesuits that we've talked about previously, this was actually one of the uh, the major um, tasks that were on your to-do list that they handed you at the beginning, right?
1: Indeed. Yeah. I, I, uh, I was hired uh, by Robert Abel and associates to, um, to provide concepts for all of the space hardware, including the enterprise. And uh, I met with my art director, uh, visual effects art director Richard Taylor, who had won several Emmys for his amazing work and uh, or Tony's or whatever they win, uh, uh, you know, a lot of it was just jaw dropping, leading edge stuff. So I was very optimistic about what we were going to do for the movie. And Richard brought me in and said uh, that he wanted me to basically design all the earth hardware, uh, which excluded Mm -hmm. V-Jurn or actually humanoid hardware uh, which included the Klingon stuff, and I, you know, uh, imagine a fanboy being brought in to say, "Okay, now it's your turn." Right. Here's See the keys. I, yeah. 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 It was just unbelievable. So, that's how that started.
0: Well, do you remember, especially this case, this project, where the Phase Two TV series had been tanked in favor of the motion picture, and you all, in some ways, inherited some some things. Some things were in development. The you know the basic Enterprise shape. That Matt Jeffries and Joe Jennings had worked on, the model was scrapped. But you all took the design. I guess you primarily took the design. And why don't we talk about the, the ship itself, the exterior? What did, What did you bring to it? We've got a sketch here from you.
1: Mm. Yeah. Well, that was that was much later on. But uh, uh, initially, yeah, we were we were tasked with with coming up with a new Enterprise. The, the thing is, is that uh, they had built an Enterprise uh, designed by Joe Jennings and Matt Jeffries. Mm-hmm. Uh, for what was called Phase 2, which was going to be a, a movie of the week uh, of, about Star Trek. And Star Wars came out, and everybody started thinking, hey, maybe this space stuff can be used for the big screen. So they scrapped Phase 2 and went into uh, the motion picture. And as visual effects art director Richard mm-hmm. Taylor said, you know what, we're going to need a much bigger, more detailed uh Right version of this ship. So um he said, Oh, and while we're at it, while we're building a bigger ship, let's you know embellish it, let's give it a little style. So my job basically was was to do that. Richard said, you know what, I've got these these ideas that I really want to incorporate for the engines in particular. So um why don't I start with those? And so Richard went off and spent some time designing those, uh, those what I would call Art Deco engines, you know, with a lot of uh, parallel lines and uh, you know things that we'd really never seen before. He had his 1940s Ford grill on the front.
0: Right. We'll uh, talk about the actual nacelles
1: now on them. Yeah, the nacelles, yeah. and uh, and then I started working on all kinds of other details on the ship itself. Uh, first of all, I wanted to make it a little bit larger. Actually, I wanted to make it 2,000 feet long, and he said, "You know, let's stick closer to what uh, Joe Genzly had done." And so I just evened it out to 1,000 feet overall length, uh, you know, which gave us some some a framework in which to add all of these goodies. Mm-hmm. I I tried to address a lot of the things that had never been addressed before in a a, a show like this. So I went about uh, and added a reaction control thruster system to the ship because when you're doing these finite maneuvers, it's like, uh, you know, how do we know the ship? Is it just like magically turn or what? <laughs> so, uh, you know, I borrowed from NASA. I yeah. just extrapolated from that technology, created these. And, well,
0: mm-hmm. you know, just in the time, the original Enterprise is designed in 64, and just between then and and now you're coming back in 79, but even – 3 4 years later especially with the Gemini and then Apollo space programs people were used to hearing people talk about firing thrusters and maneuvering in space and it went from this you know oblique concept that most people it wasn't on their radar when they first designed the original enterprise to something within a short time was was on everybody's basic vocabulary much less you know 15 years later right so so good on you <laughs>
1: Yeah, well, I mean, NASA did give us a new new vocabulary and a new understanding of in space. So I just took that, added the thrusters, and and I knew that the saucer had been designed to separate. You know, even the original Mm -hmm. uh, ship from Kirk's, uh, the only time they mention it is in a show called The Apple. Right. Kirk uh, tells Scotty to break out of there with the main section if you have to, but save the ship. Well, the main section's the saucer. So uh so I so knowing that I wanted to keep that going. And uh and I designed a separation line on the dorsal so that the saucer mm-hmm. could theoretically separate. I gave it four landing pads on the underside of the saucer. Uh the maneuvering thrusters could be used either with a saucer and engineering hull separately or together. I started addressing that and it's like, well, okay, now where do the phasers come out of? So I added phaser bubbles, what I call, you know, these blisters around the ship, uh, so the ship could protect itself in a visible way. Uh, and then the thing about the photon torpedo tubes, well, in in the phase two version, um, preceding what I was doing, they had a torpedo tube in uh, at the base of the um, dorsal, you know, connecting between the engineering hull and the saucer. Right. So I took that and I just doubled it, um, kept it basically in the same location, uh, thinking that uh, either they could, you know, well, ac- actually at the time, I, d- I had no idea about the, the vertical power shaft, but two were better than one, right? So I'd, I had, <laughs> a- and what you see in that drawing is, are the doors closed. Originally, my idea was to make the ship look a lot less, uh, uh, obviously a military vessel, so I wanted to have doors that would that would seal off those torpo- uh, torpedo tubes and uh, and open like, you know, on a World War II submarine when, when they are needed, then they can open up. Uh, eventually, th- that went back and forth quite a lot, and eventually uh, the thought was to have them exposed, it would add a lot of uh, detailing in a particular area, so we did that so i i added an exhaust vent on the back of those just so the torpedoes some sort of a you know a kickback if if they ever visually did that uh richard taylor took everything a step further and he said you know i think the ship ought to have panel lines uh you know it's not a totally smooth ship it's man-made or in today's language it's person-made and uh we should see how that thing is put together. So I came up with lines for the ship, and eventually it's been called an Aztec patterning, patterning for the ship uh, saucer. But I did that so that the hull plates would be interlocking uh, and provided a little more tensile strength.
0: Well, here's one thing, I just looking at these, and these are these uh, sketches that we've got in our package here this week. And by the way, everybody, I hope you're following along with all these sketches at uh, – at, uh, facebook.com slash the trek files as always our document of the week is always there and uh, this week we have a whole gallery again but these are the sketches that were prepared i think for the uh, for the blueprints for the commercially available you know blueprints for fans but the top view has that that crystal at the back of the saucer that's where the uh, i guess the power transfer what was the origination of that that because that was a feature that had not existed before and really hasn't been repeated since
1: well, uh, when I saw the sets, um, there was this vertical power shaft uh, that, that was you know had something to do with their warp power system. So I, I took that idea because it transferred back to the warp engines uh, from that one main engine rope. but it went vertical and not really having a grasp on on how any of this really worked, my thinking was that that you could take some of this warp energy, run it up through the dorsal into the saucer and basically deflect that power into the impulse engines. So my thinking was that there would be a, a deflection crystal mounted at the top of that shaft that would amplify and, and redirect that uh, warp energy into the impulse engines. So that's that's where that. Uh, okay.
0: Came. Okay. So it's, uh, it's, yeah, inherently been, it's a function of the warp. It's a deflection uh, Rerouting power to impulse, basically. A backup yes, or
1: amplifying.
0: Yeah. yeah. Well, Andy, let's look at some of the interiors, which was also on your to-do list. Uh, some of these, I, we have an early sketch here of a transporter that obviously uh, was meant to have some bulk on the top and bottom decks and not be completely smooth. That's an interesting take. Also, from your earliest days, your first month on the job there in April 1978, I guess that was just a look they didn't, uh, they didn't
1: go with. That's so true. The, the thing is, is that uh, Harold Michaelson was the show's production designer, and so it was really not our task to to intrude on on what he was doing for the interiors. But um, every now and then, uh, you know, we would just take it upon ourselves to to throw out ideas and and see if Hal thought that they were logical, particularly if they um, had something to do with the exterior, you know, like the like the officers' lounge or the botanical gardens and things right. of that yeah. nature that may not have understood exactly where any of this went uh, within the ship. You know, uh, he 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 was an he was an older production designer, a genius really, who was used to things more like uh, office buildings and and residences and not spaceships. So whenever yeah. whenever we saw that you know that things might have been helped along, then uh, Richard had us uh, come up with sketches of, of interior items, so, right. and that that was one of them.
0: Right. Well, I want to I want to also point out here this early early take which I had never seen before. It's one of the great finds here in the in the Rodenberry files. This early cross-sectional view, <laughs> trying to put some life behind the external windows in the secondary hull. Now. We've got your sketch here of uh, of the botanical garden, which is what that wound up. But somebody early on had uh, had the mess hall, had a had a food place lined up there. It, it's um, they're using the windows and have kind of an idea. But I'm I'm really glad this didn't um, come to fruit. Do you have any memory of seeing this, or or just I, you obviously came up with a much better idea, much more imaginative use?
1: Well, yeah, this this is the first time I've ever seen this, and it's it's odd, frankly. <laughs> um, you yeah, know, I didn't... Uh, my my thinking was with a botanical garden, it, it would... Like a cruise ship, you know, you want to have some big windows and small windows and, and areas that you can actually uh, get away from it all, as it were. And, and I remember the original series, you know, we, we were always kicking back to the original series. And uh, there was a, uh, at least one show where they had uh, something going on in the Enterprise Bot- Botanical Gardens. So Sula was there and her and so on. I don't remember the exact show. Uh, there were all these exotic plants in there. So I thought, well, you know, if, if we had a park, basically a, a, an area that stretched all the way across the uh, engineering hall, uh, that might be just a nice place to take a break, you know? Mm-hmm. So that was my concept. And, and the cool thing was, is that when the, when the models, uh, when the model was built, they actually built a little scene in there complete with a sunset roof or uh, ceiling so that, uh, you know, if the camera ever zoomed in close enough, you could actually see little trees and bushes and trails and so on and so forth. So that was amazing.
0: Right. There wasn't much talk of uh, the whole, I mean, they they played with it in the original series concepts and in the animated, but there really wasn't much talk about holodecks, holographic environments on the ship. Yeah,
1: not at that time. uh, Although botanical
0: gardens, uh, botany sections would survive next generation and and uh, it, would, it would be a concept that would be reused because there's nothing like the real thing, real osmosis going on. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Well, Andy, listen, this, is, this time has just flown by. We've just, we have just scratched the surface here with, with your galley. Um, we'll have to have you come back, and we'll talk about some other aspects of your work on motion picture, and then we'll get around to the next generation, too. How's that?
1: Sounds great to me.
0: Thanks so much again for being with us. And everybody, once again, take a look at these um, at the Facebook page. The Trek Files is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment. Executive producer, Rod Roddenberry. Additional production by Ken Ray. Once again, all these documents are available at facebook.com slash Files. For more great podcasts, check out podcast.roddenberry.com. And for more deep diving of Star Trek behind the scenes, visit Dr. Trek and Portal 47. That's me at larrynemachek.com.